Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello, fabulous Take On Board community. A couple of announcements before this week's show. Firstly, thank you to you, the fabulous Take On Board community, for sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And a huge welcome to those of you who are new here. Take On Board is not just a podcast. It's a thriving, engaged community who love talking all things governance. So you can listen into this podcast and you can join us at an event or over in the Take On Board Facebook group. Now, speaking of events, if you're listening to this on release day, Wednesday the 7th of September, and you're in Canberra, come and join us for a relaxed and informal Take On Board meetup tonight. We'll be at Queenie's in Kingston from 5pm. Uh, message me or have a look on my LinkedIn for details. If you're not in Canberra, well, you can come and join us at the next Take On Board online event. The book club is later in September and we'll be discussing Corinne Armour's book, Leaders Who Ask. Or in November, you can come to the next Take On Board breakfast with Rosalind Noonan, the former New Zealand Human Rights Commissioner. Speaking of breakfasts, today on the podcast, you'll hear from Gillian West at the last Take On Board breakfast where she'll share with us all about First Nations cultural competency for board directors. And if you like what you hear, well, you might like to join us for a full face-to-face day. So you'll need to be in Melbourne with Gillian and others from the Take On Board community for a full day of professional development on cultural competency for board members. There's links to all of these events in the show notes. Super early bird tickets for some of them are closing soon, so get in quick. Last but not least, my shout out of the week goes to the newly graduated Take On Board Kickstarter group. A huge congratulations to Bev, Billy, Carolyn, Greta, Isabel, Joe, Leonor, Marg, Mel, Sarah, Tamara and Pip. I know all of you are going to be joining new boards very soon as your pitch sounds amazing, your resumes look awesome And your interview skills are totally rocking it. We'll no doubt have some further shout-outs of congratulations to some from this group very soon. Now, on with the show. You are going to love what Gillian shares with us. And as I say, if you want to hear more, I would love you to join us at the Take On Board Professional Development Day. Now, let's hear more from Gillian. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast. I'd like to start by acknowledging that I am recording on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and future. I also acknowledge and respect the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practice of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And I extend that respect to any First Nations people we might have here with us today. 
Being on a board can be an incredibly valuable, interesting and exciting experience. Yet it can also be lonely, challenging and, let's face it, pretty hard. So here at Take On Board, I'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you navigate your way onto a board, onto your next board and to build your governance wisdom. Now, on with the show. Morning, everybody. Welcome to this Take On Board event. I would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we variously are. For me, I'm up in Brisbane today, and I've just learned that, well, I learned last night that Brisbane's the engine in the Aboriginal language up here. And so we are on the lands, well, I am on the lands of the Turbul people up here in Brisbane. So paying respects to elders past and present. And you know, I know people will have heard me say this before, uh, but acknowledging the traditional owners is not only the right thing to do, but when we're thinking governance and when we're thinking the role of governance, um, you know, for me, that is the long-term stewardship of organisations and the long-term stewardship of these lands for 60,000 years before we came along is a pretty impressive lesson in governance. So um, I think it's a good thing for us to reflect on as we think about governance and I'm sure we'll be thinking more about that First Nations people today a bit later on. So Gillian came to me by, I think she was recommended to me by another member of the Take On Board community. She did a podcast, which you might have already had a listen to about doing reconciliation action plans. And when I spoke to her then, I went, oh, we must get you to come to an event and have a chat. And I've got some news about another event she'll be doing a bit later on in this session. Gillian, over to you. You. Thank you. So thank you, everyone. Firstly, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians on all of the different lands that we meet today. Uh, I'm on, a, on my Bunurong country and I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I pay my respects to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. And I extend that acknowledgement and respect to non-Indigenous people who share this reconciliation journey with us. My father, who I'll speak about today, Japananga Errol West, said, walk softly on the land as it holds the stories of our grandmothers. So I'm Gillian West. Thank you all for joining me at this lovely hour of the morning. I don't think I've been up this early forever, three years nearly, <laughs> but I love it. So I'm from Point Nepean, so Bunurong, born on Bunurong country in Williamstown. I'm also from Palawa, which is the islands of Bass Strait in Tasmania. My grandfather was born on Cape Barron and my father was born in Launceston and grew up on Flinders Island. So I'm going to be talking a lot about my dad today, which is why I'm on this journey. And he passed away to the Dreamtime 23 years ago. And the kookaburra in the background, I'll tell you a bit of a story about him as well. So there's a few personal stories here and I had to try and fit a whole day's training into 20 minutes. So I've pulled out what's important, but everything's important, but just give the basics. So if, you know, I'm lucky enough, if you wanted to attend my uh, training that Halia will talk about later, then I'd love to see you. So I'm going to screen share now. This is a safe place. This isn't about you feeling guilty or about you saying sorry. I always say that we were robbed of an education. We were robbed of the history of Black Australia. So I'm just going to share a little bit. No question offends me. If you feel it may be offensive, 
just you're welcome to email me or call me later. That's only for other people's benefit, not for mine, okay? Because I understand that we weren't taught the history. So there's a lot of knowledge that's not known in education. So let me see if I've got my technical skills going because I don't like it that I have to be taught now when I used to teach people technology. Can everybody see that? Oh, yay. So thank you, Helia, for, and Lisa also I'd like to acknowledge for all the work that you've done in including me in uh, this presentation today and asking me to, to be part of it. I loved how we all broke out and learnt about each other because part of who we are as Aboriginal people is where you're from, who's your mob, and then we find out we're related most of the time. But you may have been sitting on the take on board for years and not have learned what you learned today. So that's one part of what I love about it is that we all share and find out who we are, who we really are, because work is work, life is life, and sometimes we can mix the both of them. I'm going to talk about acknowledgement and welcomes. A lot of people aren't sure of the difference between acknowledgement and welcomes. Acknowledgements can be hard because people are worried they may offend, they may not say the right thing, they can't pronounce the traditional custodians on the land on which they are. I'm going to just go through our Aboriginal culture and, and welcome and acknowledgements. So welcome to country. A welcome to country is performed by an Aboriginal traditional custodian or owner of the people visiting their country. It should only be performed by a representative of that traditional group. So me being Palawa and Bunurong, I can't give in a, a welcome to anyone on Wurundjeri country, Gadigal country, Wadarong, Jajawurong. I can only do it on my own country. And it's usually appropriate for significant events, functions, so dream time at the G. Anything that's big will have a welcome to country, which is usually has a smoking ceremony performed so the smoking ceremony is done by the man and generally the welcome to country by a woman but men can do uh, welcome to countries as well so that's very important that we know that it's only to be done by traditional custodian of the country on which we're standing and an acknowledgement so an acknowledgement recognizes that victoria has an ancient and proud history it pays respects to traditional owners now with an acknowledgement, it's not something you have to do. It's just something that I feel if you want to do it and it's from the heart, it's amazing. Always starts a reconciliation journey within that meeting if you're going to do an acknowledgement at the start. If you're not sure of the traditional custodians, I will send a link. It's called ACRIS. And what you do is go into a map and search and put in your address, hover over it, and it will tell you who the traditional custodians are of the land on which you are that day. If it's disputed, you just say traditional custodians. If you're not sure how to pronounce, you just say traditional custodians, okay? I always use custodians when I talk because I feel that we belong to the land. And a lot of different people, will, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people will say it, you know, differently as well. So forums, events, government, local government, conferences, school assemblies, concerts, board meetings and official openings. So in the federal government and the Victorian government, generally the highest ranking person in the room in that meeting will do the acknowledgement. But I'm finding now that everyone is starting to do it 
opening up for every staff member in that, which I think is really good that everyone has a chance. And if, if someone doesn't feel comfortable, I'm not sure what to say in the acknowledgement, I do have a acknowledgement phrase that I can send to you as well. The cooler nation. So people in Victoria, we're on the cooler nation. So woman Jenka is a Wurrung Wurundjeri language word and Jajarung people, and that's central Victoria. So the Wurundjeri people have given permission for everybody in Victoria to use Womanjenka as their word. So we respectfully acknowledge, and I do as well, the Kulin Nation. So it's now known by its European name of Melbourne, but it is NAM, as you've probably seen it, Melbourne football um, now calling themselves NAM or during dream time. So for the Wurundjeri, Bunurong, Tungurong, Jajawurong and Wadharong people, that's who make up the Kulin Nation, five traditional clans. And Melbourne has always been an important meeting place for social, education, sporting and cultural and events and activities. So the MCG was a, actually a, a meeting place for our people before um, colonisation. So I'm going to do something. Please take yourself off mute. I want you all to try and say these words. I'll say them first. And then, okay, so Bunurong or Bunurong, we'll say, I'll talk about that soon as well. Everyone say Bunurong. Bunurong. Jajawurong. Jajawurong. Tangarong. Tangarong. Wadarong. 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 So. That was just a little activity to show you that you can say it <laughs> if you do need to. Okay. It's really hard over Zoom as well because I really like to be in front of people and doing activities. But thank you all so much. And Grant, I heard you loud and clear. If I had something to give you a chocolate frog in the morning, I would give it to you. Confirmation of Aboriginality. Aboriginal identity has emerged as one of the main issues of concern for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people due to past issues and the stolen generation and assimilation policy. So the Commonwealth Working Definition, definition sorry, endorsed by Cabinet in 1978 states that an Aboriginal person is someone who is of Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander descent, identifies as an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander person and is accepted as such by the community in which he or she lives. So I identify, I am, but if I did not go every year over to Tasmania for my dad's inaugural lecture in his honour, in his name, and be part of the community, I would not have been able to get my confirmation, even though my aunties and uncles are on the board. So if I didn't go to Tasmania, I didn't recognise myself and wanted my confirmation, it would have been a no. So they're the three definitions that we have to have to get our confirmation. And as you, some people may be aware, it can be hard if you're from the stolen generation and don't know who your mum, your dad or any of your families or what even where your mob is from. The federal government, they help you get your confirmation. There's a place called LinkUp and they also help trace your family. If, and if you can, it's really good. It is pretty emotional when you talk about things like this. I'm not going to go into colonisation and assimilation and things like that because I do only have 20 minutes. I want this to be a good experience for you and to learn a little bit of the good things as well. Okay. Does anyone know what flag this is? It's not a trick question. <laughs> Aboriginal flag. 
Yeah. Is it up the right way? Good question. Oh, yeah. my Lord. Isn't that amazing to, that I can't tell um, yeah, off the top of my head? People are saying yes. Let's take it mm -hmm. as a yes. And, and you've got 10 minutes to go, Gillian. I'll chuck that in whilst we're in the middle too. <laughs> I've got anxiety now. Okay. It's the Aboriginal flag and it's the right way up, guys. Okay. Um, I could see some people, not, I could see that they knew, but it is. When you really look at it, you're thinking, is that the way that I see it normally? So the Aboriginal flag was designed by Harold Thomas. The red ochre is the land that nourishes us and is used in ceremonies. And it was our spiritual relation to land. The yellow is the ochre represents the sun. And the black is a political statement that our people have black identity and represents the Aboriginal people of Australia. And I know I'm sitting here with white skin. So that was a political statement. The red used to be known as the massacres um, that were across Australia and Tasmania. So you know the fires in Australia that we had? Someone put the fires on one page and the massacre sites in Australia on another page and they nearly or they were nearly on top of exactly where the fires were on our massacre sites. That's very interesting, isn't it? Does anyone know what this one is? Torres Strait Islander. Okay. Torres Strait Islander people are to be recognised in the Human Rights Act as a distinct culture. So they are to be always put or recognised. That's why everyone needs to say Torres Strait Islander people as well and put the flag if they've got it on their signature next to the Aboriginal flag. So Bernard Nomic Senior created the Torres Strait Islander flag. The green represents the mainlands of Australia and Papua New Guinea. The blue line between these two continents is a line of the water, the Torres Strait Islander water. The line represents the people. And the one symbol that he could felt that he could identify with Torres Strait Islander people is a dari, the headdress. So it looks like the back of a kangaroo, kangaroo legs. Uh, and the five-pointed star are our island group. So the stars also used to navigate as well. And the five-pointed star represents the five islands of Torres Strait Island. Revisiting our past. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are bound by collective past. So Aboriginal people were not recognised as or treated as equals till 1967. And the referendum was passed by over 99% of Australian people to say that we could be part of the census and vote. So to put that into context, my grandfather fought in the war 1940 to 45, but he wasn't allowed to vote and he wasn't part of the census. My father was 20 years old when he actually was able to vote and be known as a person. So it's not that long ago. That's mainly my point. A lot of people think it's a long time ago that this happened, but it, it's really not. So what is culture? Culture can be thought of as a community of individuals who see their world in a particular manner, who share a particular interpretations essential to the meaning of their lives. Aboriginal culture or culture to us is everything. That's who we are. It's embedded. It's our dreaming, our dream time, our law, our cycle of life, birth and death. It's our language. It's everything that makes us who we are. So understanding Aboriginal culture, we have three core fundamental traditional cultures and values, reciprocate, I can never say this word, reciprocity takes me 30 years, obligation and avoidance. So we are the oldest living race. We're genetically unique and they're saying now could be up to 85,000 years. Kinship, so there's over 500 different Aboriginal nations and with Aboriginal nations in clan groups there was family groups 
and clan groups shared a common language and kinship system, which was very, um, it was very hard. So moiety, totem and skin names. It was very strict to make sure there was no intermarriage which between tribes. And a person's position in the kinship system establishes their relationship to others in the universe, prescribing their responsibilities towards other people, the land and resources. Quickly, Torres Strait Islander, I don't talk on Torres Strait Islander people. I have been gifted with some information in my training. It's, it's longer. I'll just share that there's five islands. You can see the top Sabai and Papua New Guinea. When the tide comes in, you can walk across. When it goes out, you need to catch a boat. That's just a bit of information I love sharing. Papua New Guinea has uh, recognised that it is Australian waters as well. So I'm coming to the end because I'm pretty sure I've only got a couple of minutes left. It's not your right to understand, but it is your obligation to accept difference. It's not your right to understand, but it is your obligation to accept difference. My father passed away, left seven children behind, four to one marriage and three to another, which I'm part of. When he passed away, a kookaburra came to each child within a week of his passing living across Australia. So this kookaburra is my dad's spiritual animal. Like I said, he was pulled out of school in grade five. That was his last formal education due to the racism in Tasmania and the islands because my grandfather's skin was black. So they needed to be seasonal workers, my grandparents. He became a teacher, then a master's in teaching and a doctor of philosophy. This is what he said. 22 years ago, he passed away. I was able to get a recording of him speaking during philosophy week 10 months before he died. So this is what he said. And after he said this, this is what he said about this quote. Had we had the capacity to do what I believe, no weapons of war would have ever have been created. I have a belief that the 200-year war in this country has remained nonviolent because of the deep love of human life my elders and ancestors had for the people of difference. And it was not until the women and children were murdered and poisoned that our men struck back with overt violence. And don't point somewhere in Victoria where someone speared a sheep. Get real. What man wouldn't protect, I don't think I've written, I was so emotional writing it. What man wouldn't protect his family, future generations and his beloved? Sorry, I get so emotional because I haven't heard it for so long, his voice. So <clears throat> I talk about my dad a lot because I'm on the path next to him. I feel him, our dream time, and I was trying to explain it. I can see him sitting by the campfire with my grandfather, my uncle, his brother, and my father. He was 53 when he died, my dad. My grandfather was 63 and my uncle was 58. Me as an Aboriginal woman, myself, is likely to die 17 years younger than any other Australian woman. The kookaburra. This kookaburra was given to me in a frame. It was a drawing. A friend of mine who I'm very close to, I've known a long time, went to a store in the peninsula and she saw it and said, that's Jillian's, I've got to go and get it. So she bought it for me. It's framed. It's in my bedroom. When she went up to pay for it, the lady said behind the counter, the artist is Wiradjuri, comes from Wiradjuri country where my sisters and brother and stepmom live. And she names all the animals. And this kookaburra's name's Errol, which is my dad's name. That's our connections. 
that's our culture and that's why culture is so important it's so important in education it's so important in work it's so important in life I always say you'll be so much richer if you sit down and talk to an Aboriginal person and learn who they are where we've come from why we are here I think I've run out of time I hope I didn't rush that and talk too quickly thank you all for listening I love this. I love sharing. I love meeting people. And I always say generally people I talk to, I will always have a lifelong connection in some way because I meet people for a reason. So how you thank you. Oh, Gillian, thank you. How amazing. Thank you. That is a beautiful start for, to my day and I'm sure it's a beautiful start to a number of other people's as well. So we have about 20 minutes for Q&A. I'm going to call on you to ask your question. If you could say your name, if you're on any boards, which boards you are on or anything else you'd like to say to introduce yourself. Katerina, uh, I think you've asked the first one and I'm glad you asked this because this was my question as well. So Katerina, wherever you are, if you could take yourself off mute, um, introduce yourself and if you could ask your question, over to you. Thanks, Helia, and hi, Gillian, and everyone else. I'm Katerina. I'm actually between jobs and taking a, I think, a well-earned break, having previously started and run a not-for-profit and then working on uh, Zoe Daniels' election campaign. Recently, she was one of the Teal Independents. And, yeah, the question I was really interested about, the sort of three pillars or aspects of Aboriginal culture that you talked about, reciprocity, obligation, and avoidance. Sorry for making you say the word again. <laughs> it's all right. I have to just keep trying. Yeah, I was particularly curious about, I feel like reciprocity and obligation make a lot of sense. Avoidance, I was very curious about. Reciprocity is sharing with each other. So as Aboriginal people, we share with each other. We share our caring responsibilities. Um, we share who we are. It's always about family. Uh, family is so important. I, I could delve a lot deeper into this, but avoidance. So in some relationships, in traditional uh, clans, interactions are predetermined by cultural protocols. So as an example, in Darwin, there's actually a door for the mother-in-law and a door for the son-in-law, and there's a, a Centrelink office. There's a total avoidance relationship. So they're not permitted to speak or interact with each other at any time or even to look at each other. So I know that's hard to understand. Some men may be happy that they don't talk to their mother-in-law, but that is just the way it is in that traditional clan group. So events, ceremonies, anything, feeds, corroborees, getting together, marriage, they're not allowed. It's a total avoidance relationship. Traditionally, it has just been the way it has, but it, it is still practised and it still can be thought of to this day. It could be because someone married the wrong family as well, but generally it is just traditionally an avoidance relationship and it's generally the mother-in-law and son-in-law. I can't speak on behalf of all the other. There's 500 different language groups or clans. There was. There's not that many now. So I hope I, hope I answered that and you're satisfied with that answer? Yeah, I mean, we could talk all day, but yeah, it's exactly. a good introduction. Thank you. Thank you. That is so Very interesting. Good. So the I next know. one is Shannon. 
If you're still here, Shaman, I know you needed to duck off to ironically to a board meeting, but I'm going to, so let me ask um, her question on her behalf. Shaman says, Gillian, thank you. How can we bring both culture and the acceptance of difference meaningfully into a governance context beyond the initial acknowledgement? My thoughts, and if anybody asks me, is it can be as simple as instead of having calling it a team meeting, call it a yarning circle. So we're going to have a yarning circle from one to two, sitting around in a circle and just listening to each other respectfully from the heart and non-judgmentally, even if you're in an office environment. I know we don't always agree with our co-workers, but when we used to, or we still do sit around a yarning circle, we'd have something in our hands, clapping stick, or and we'd pass it to the next person and say, I respectfully listen to you, I respectfully don't judge you, and I'll listen from the heart. You could put Aboriginal art up, have the flat three flags on your desk at reception. You could have your lunchroom, you know, with an Aboriginal mat with art there, you know. Our Aboriginal businesses are, are amazing, the paintings that you can get. It's just the little things, the recognition. My dad said, how do you know that when you land in Australia that this is Aboriginal and Aboriginal land? What have you got around you? So an acknowledgement plaque is nice as well to have on your front door that you acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which you are, whoever they may be just to recognise that, you know, you are on this reconciliation journey and that you are aware that we have this amazing rich culture right next to us, right on our, we're standing on. My father said, philosophy is the pursuit of wisdom and for those who are barefooted and touching the ground are at the core of philosophy. So you've got your feet on the ground, you're walking with our ancestors as well. Cultural awareness training, everybody should have that especially if they're working with an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person, just to have that understanding about cultural issues or obligations, sorry, not issues, in our contemporary society. I'm going to jump in with a little follow-up, if I may, Gillian, on that. So you said, you know, call your team meeting a yarning circle. So this is me asking the stupid, embarrassing question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Let's say I said we're not having any more take-on-board events. This is a take-on-board yarning circle. That somehow feels uncomfortable to me and that I'm kind of cultural appropriation, essentially. So talk me through my discomfort there and what the right thing is. I should have added on to that, that if you've got an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person working with you, I would just check with them that they're comfortable with it. Mm. Okay, so if you know an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person's coming into the meeting or works with you, just say, hey, this is um, a, an option or, um, you know, some advice I was given, do you feel comfortable? Will that include you? Would you feel better? So it's just having that communication open and asking an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person if they're okay with that, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah, no, that does. Okay, thank you. Um, Katerina, you are top of the pops. You've got the next question as well. Katerina, if you could... Well, you probably don't need to reintroduce yourself, although uh, I will say just before you pop on, firstly, I was listening to a podcast last night with Katerina on it on my flight up to Brisbane uh, telling us about her background. So I'm going to send that out as part of the uh, follow-up email as well so you can learn more about her. And when she says she got Zoe Daniels elected, so she well deserves a break, I say. So anyway, Katerina, over to you. 
Thank you. It wasn't just me, surely. We had thousands of people, literally. I might. So the second question was, I'd never even heard of that idea. I think you talked about confirmation. I'm not sure if that was the word that you used. Um, about originality, yeah. Yeah, and I'd never even known that that was a thing, that that was a process, and it raised a whole lot of questions. First of all, how does that understanding the process a bit more and just yeah. some of the implications it has for Aboriginal people if they can't get confirmed, but they feel yeah. they are, you know, genetically Aboriginal and they feel Aboriginal, what that yeah. blew my well, mind. So it's generally for recruitment purposes. So federal government, I think Victorian government, um, under special measures, it enables employment opportunities to be advertised for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, and it's restricted to just Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So generally when that special measure identified position comes up, they need to have their confirmation. And like I said, some people may not even have it. So the government or the people they're doing recruitment within the government help find that person's confirmation or they can do a stat deck of someone in community that may know that person. They don't want to not give an Aboriginal trust or owner person a job, but if it's special measure, special measure, it happens has to have some kind of formal identification that that person is Aboriginal. And like I said, it can be very contentious for people because some people may not even know where they're from. So a stat deck, generally they're linked up with community and a stat deck from community can be okay. Each person's different and different situation. Confirmation um, of heritage from candidates required to ensure that they're, that they're honouring that they are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. When I worked in Centrelink, for example, and people would sit down and I'd start a claim, of course, I, are you Aboriginal and or Torres Strait Islander? The amount of people that said, if I say yes, what do I get for free? And I say, you get the door, see you later. But when you're applying for app study with Centrelink, they don't ask for confirmation because of that contentious issue. It's really hard. It's such a fine line and an area. But the people, I, I ran a recruitment. Uh, we had an Indigenous apprenticeship program through Centrelink. I ran the first one. And we just fought hard and tried the hardest to get some kind of stat deck if they did not have a confirmation. But it's generally for special measure jobs. Thank you. That makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> Folks, I'll, I'll share it at the end and in the follow-up email, but we've managed to get Gillian for a full day. I'll tell you about that in a moment. Okay, so the next one is an anonymous one, uh, but what, somebody just didn't put their name against it, so I'll, I'll share the question. So what books or references do you suggest we start with to understand some stories about customs and cultures and so on? Sally Morgan's really good. Dr. Anita Heiss, Heiss I think her name is. My dad's got poems in Inside Black Australia. That's a great book um, with people's poems about how they are and who they are. I'll put something in an email to how you are. Um, in Canberra, there's like a AXIS, which is a an Aboriginal library, if you want to look at it like that. There's great resources there. You can go to the NAIDOC website, Reconciliation Victoria website, and Australia, Reconciliation Australia website. So much out there. Children's books, language books, uh, Thank you. Yeah, totally. Um, Sarah, I hope you're here. Sarah, over to you. 
Sure. Thanks, Talia. And thanks, Gillian. It's been wonderful. Um, I'm Sarah. I um, work at Woolworths Group. I'm a pharmacist and nutritionist. So very pleased to be part of the new Kickstarter community with Talia. My question in our group, we discussed this, was that we sort of felt like here we're preaching to the, the converted and people that are really engaged. And as I sat through and listened to your wonderful presentation, I just thought about all the people in my life and work and networks who just would haven't wouldn't have the slightest of um, idea about some of this stuff. So what are the ways you think we could empower others or share the knowledge with others um, more broadly in our workplaces, but also just in our local communities as well? Great question. Thanks, Sarah. So you're right. How do people know what you've just learned in a couple of like 20 minutes? Now it's on you guys to teach as well. But what I would say is get people to look at like NAIDOC week in your work, National Reconciliation Week in your workplace or even in your personal life. There's great events. There's smoking, welcome ceremonies. Acknowledge those milestones for us, like their significant dates. Sorry, day. I'll, I'll send you. I'll send everyone a significant date calendar too. The only way we can do it is word of mouth. So now I put this on you guys. You've learned a bit. You can say to people, "Hey, did you know that Aboriginal people were only allowed to vote and be part of the census in 1967?" And then that can get people talking. And then they may find someone that's Aboriginal they know and go, "Hey, I didn't know that." My son is 27, he's about to have his first child in January and he won't identify because his skin's white. You know, that's his journey, but now I'm having a grandchild. That's my obligation to teach my grandchild. I taught my son and he will identify, he's coming around, but it's due to the racism. One of his friends is always saying bad stuff about Aboriginal people. So he doesn't want to identify. So it's just, Sarah, you can now speak, even at a meeting and say, hey, I just learned this and then just get people communicating. I think that's the best way to do it. Let's go to the smoking ceremony as a group, a team. You know, let's go down to Bunurong Point Nepean and have a look. Five women were stolen from there, taken to Tassie and WA, you know, that kind of, you know, go to places that have, you know, QR codes with stories on in botanical gardens and tells you about Williamstown's got it. There's, there's so much that people don't know that's out there. Thanks, Julian. And I think it's right. It's it's up to us, I think. It's our role to do that. And even if it's just a small thing every day or small thing regularly, that will help to share. Cheryl, you're up with the next one uh, about cultural protocols and engaging. So can I get you to introduce yourself and then ask your question? Uh, thanks, Helga. And thank you, Julian, for today. It's been fantastic. The ladies that were in my group, uh, unfortunately, have had to leave, you know, to get the kids to school and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I'm kind of representing them. We had, I just talked to you briefly earlier around that feeling of doing the wrong thing. We're so paralysed sometimes in not wanting, it's easier not to do anything rather than to do the mm -hmm. wrong thing. So the, the question to you is around um, what protocols should we be aware of when engaging with um, Aboriginal cultured people? I work with um, job actives and I did work at a job active where they're always seeing Aboriginal job seekers. So the barriers that our people face as, as young people is really hard. Uh, generally, if it's coming from your heart, it's not disrespectful. And if you feel like it's offensive, like I said, it probably is. Start a conversation in 
hey, um, where are you from? Where's your family from? If someone doesn't look you in the eyes, it's because of respect. It's not being rude. Don't not look them in the eyes as well. There's so much to it to try and answer this question. Protocols within community, always get an Aboriginal person to introduce you to that Aboriginal community or organisation. Or if you ring to find something out, just say, look, I'm not sure if I'm I'm doing the right thing. I, I, I'm aware that I should have an Aboriginal person introducing me, but I don't know anyone. This is what I want. Explain. You know, if you just explain respectfully and from the heart, I don't think people can go wrong. But there is a whole part to COP community um, consultation and protocol and, and about, like, don't overuse the service. Um, make sure, like I said, that you've got someone that's Aboriginal can introduce you to the organisation. You can attend events, um, like I said to Sarah, you, you know, in Collingwood there's Billabong Barbecue every week and they welcome anyone down there, sit around the mob and have a, have a yarn to somebody. I could probably talk so much to this co- consultation and protocol, but, like, I can tell you're already respectful, Cheryl, by even asking, so I don't think you could go wrong. Julian, could I just have a follow-up question? Sorry, Helga. If we use the same language that you're using now, is that disrespectful? I can call, my cousin calls me, hey, black fella, come here. But a non-Indigenous person says it to me, it's offensive. There is a a part I have in my training about offensive terms. You've learnt off me. So you can repeat what I've said. And you can use that way because I'm an Aboriginal person within Victoria. I'm a traditional owner or custodian. When you say talk like I do, do you mean the wording or? Sorry, just unmuting. Um, Can I call it a mob? Can I call my colleagues a mob? Yeah, Yeah, you can say, oh, where's your mob from? If you don't feel comfortable, where's your family from? And they'll probably go, my mob's from here. Generally, I'd go, I'd take what that Aboriginal person's saying. So if they say to you, oh, my mob's from here, you can say, oh, whereabouts does your mob? So they've said it, you can, do you know what I mean? I got you. It's yeah. very hard. I know it's so hard. I I don't like how people feel un- this uncomfortable because if we just open a dialogue and a conversation, it generally will just go so well. Thank you. No worries. Oh, we've got some more questions, uh, but we're out of time. So firstly, Gillian, thank you. You said as long as you're speaking from the heart, it's okay. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you for coming and sharing with all of us today. Like Carolyn said, uh, for her birthday, it's not my birthday, but I could not think of a better way to start the day. So thank you so much for coming and sharing. Can I get people, what's one word that sums up the conversation we've had today? If people can pop that over in the chat, that would be awesome. Um, and then I will share. So just enlightening, says Cheryl. Depth, says Marg. What else have we got? Empowering, barefoot philosophers, heartfelt, generous. I can't keep up. Respect, uh, inspiring, awareness, mm-hmm. heart, all sorts of amazing things. So what I've also just popped over in the chat is a bunch of future events. And most importantly, that first one. The Take On Board community gets to play with Gillian for a full day. So you won't have me in the background going, we need to finish by nine, we need to finish by nine. So you're the first people that are hearing about this. So it's there in the chat, a link to a full day cultural exploration with Gillian on Saturday, the 8th of October. 
uh, where we bring together the Take On Board community to share a day with her. I would love to have you there. Like I say, you're the first to hear about it. Thank you all for being here and for sharing this wonderful morning event. I love how the Take On Board community shares and is generous of heart. And Gillian, that is exactly what you were today. So thank you all for being here. And um, I look forward to seeing you at the next Take On Board event. Thanks all. Thank you, everyone. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd really love it if you could also do some of the other podcast things. Share with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And, well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.